I was getting confused. Never ending, never lacking. Brendan, come on up. I was like, oh, that's like the greatest intro ever. Well, good morning. It is, uh, I hope you know it's a privilege to be here for me. Um, and I hope it is for you because we get to be in relationship with each other, even though that's hard and messy at times. But we're surrounded with people and, uh, and by people to connect with the Lord and with one another. And, and let's not take that for granted. Amen? No matter how hard it can get. Well, today uh, we have an interesting task. Uh, I, was, I was praying about today. And if you look according to what we're doing in this, uh, this series on how to live in the tension uh, of life and how we're going through the book of Romans to help provoke an engagement of those tensions... You will see that naturally we would go into verse 18 and it starts with the wrath of God. And I read that and I feel like I, I don't need a week to discover the wrath of God right now. So I put it off till next week. <laughs> because as we said, especially as a preacher, when you start diving into this stuff, you get plenty of opportunity to practice it, right? But no, we're at a, we're at a natural break in the first chapter And what I want to do today is kind of recap some of the things that we've discovered together that will help us moving forward in what I believe is some of the toughest stuff in Romans and some of the toughest stuff in our culture that we see today. Because verse 18 through the end of the chapter is going to talk a lot about uh, God's engagement with sin in our lives and how he doesn't like the sin, hence the wrath. And some of those sins that we will see are controversial in our culture. It becomes hard to navigate those things. Everyone, uh, and literally everyone and their mother has an opinion on it. <laughs> and so we need to come to a place where we allow God to lead us through those things. So what do we need to make sure that we remember moving forward into this passage and beyond? And so today we're going to talk a little bit a little bit about those things that will be helpful for us to remember. Now, you can go back and review the messages, and and I believe everything that we've gone through serves a great purpose and is valuable to us because it's all about being with Jesus. So that take that in consideration. It's all valuable. So what I'm saying today is not exhaustive, but just some key things to keep it simple, moving forward, and make sure that we're yoked with Jesus and not our own opinion of the world. Okay? Are we good about that? Okay. Well, first, I, I want to give us a, a, a caution. When we go into next week and we start talking about the wrath of God, and I want to say this now, and I'll reiterate it next week and go into more detail, forget what you think about the word wrath. Because usually what we think is that it's a reactive, it's, it's a reaction from God to something we do. We see it all through culture that the way God's wrath is conveyed is a lightning bolt will come down when we do something wrong. Who's seen that in cartoons or movies? And when we go, ugh. And even when we say something that we're not sure we should say, we got to go like this as a joke. Has anyone done that? Lord, forgive me. Right? Okay. And that can be the wrath that we think about when we hear the wrath of God. That is not what that means. Okay. God's wrath is against sin. It's a it's a simmering anger towards sin that comes from love. Right? When we see our kids do something they shouldn't be doing, it's, it's not this, uh, some of us react, I know I do, but that's because it makes me feel better. Um, and then I feel terrible about it later. 
but it comes from a place, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not healthy for you. It's not good for you. So it comes from a place of love when I become angry at something, but God does it in such a beautiful way that it's not reactive. And we think of wrath as reactive. Okay? So it's important. I want that to simmer a little bit so that we don't come uh, to church next Sunday with this really unhealthy understanding, well, here's wrath. You do something wrong, so boom, here it comes. That's not what we're going to be talking about. Okay? So I, and ask the Lord about it this week, what he wants to say to you about the word wrath. Do a study on it. See what happens. It'll be a wonderful week for you. <laughs> That being said, Mark did um, a fantastic message last week. Who was here last week and heard his message on trust? Um, how many are always in a wrestling match with trust? Okay. I feel like I'm always in one. Life tests what you know. Amen? <laughs> it tests your trust. It pokes and prods at your faith, and it really causes you to step up to so you can see what you're made of, to see, do you, really, do you really want to model with your action, with your heart, what you believe up here? And trust is absolutely essential. It is the number one thing the Christian must live in, the number one thing, because if you don't trust God, I would question whether or not you're a Christian. Because in itself, it says, you know, a Christian is someone that trusts is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you're not under his lordship and you're not walking with Jesus, then really, name only. We have a lot of name only Christians in this world, and I know I lived as a name only for a long time. But trust is what takes you from name only to a partnership and a relationship and an intimate relationship with Jesus. Paul illustrates this, because what we're going to kind of talk about today is it's one thing to be a messenger, it's another to be one that models the message. I can share information to you, and it can be true, good information, and you can go, wow, that's good information. I'm going to lock that away. That's pretty cool. But if you don't see that in my life, who cares? Do we not want to see the power of Jesus transform a life, not just great information? So to model Jesus, we have to trust Jesus. Paul writes this letter at a place of trust. So here's the, here's the number one thing we need to know going forward. Number one thing, trust, 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 trust. Paul conveys that with his very first words. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, period. Stop right there. Those of us who call Jesus Lord are slaves to Christ. And I'm not talking about this unhealthy slavery that we see in the world. It, it's, it, the Greek word is very interesting because uh, it, it's very confusing. <laughs> because it's one who chooses to have no choice. One who chooses to have no choice. It's not... Jesus puts us into slavery. We choose to be a servant of Christ, meaning our rights, our entitlements are what? Gone. You forfeited that. That will be our life struggle. We love control. In grade school, 
there was this, uh, this phrase that went around, no give backs or no take backs. Okay, anyone heard that phrase? But we seem to, to do that with control with Jesus. Here you go. Oh, Lord, there's a great worship service. I have my life is yours. Oh, this is amazing. This is great. It's scary. It's Monday. You can, you can sit in the back and watch me do this, Jesus. And we, we take trust back. Pa- Paul's phrase here is emphatic. It is his daily, it is his daily passion and motivation to be under the lordship of Jesus or else none of the things that he's going to do are going to happen. None of the things he hears the Lord leading him to are going to happen because they have to be done by Jesus, not by Paul. And Paul has to trust Jesus in order for those things to happen. So if we want to navigate the tensions of this world, we cannot do it with our own understanding of the world. We have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's not there, game over. We don't even get out the gate to start the race. We can't even have this conversation about going into the tensions of life and successfully navigating them with Jesus if we don't trust him. And Mark established that beautifully last week. Trust is a non-negotiable. We all all have been damaged in some way by how how people have broken our trust. Okay, How people... I. I heard a, a, actually I didn't hear, I read, you know how you look on Facebook and they have those videos and it, 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 it texts it out so you can read what they're saying without having to hear them? Um, some preachers are, are really annoying to hear, but when you read their content, it's really good, so you're not distracted by their voice. So for those that think I have a really irritating voice and want to send me emails about, you know, putting text on my videos, too bad, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but he said something to this. Our expectation of God might let us down, but his word never does. He's always true. He's always true. And so the trust, we put so much trust in our expectations of what God will do according to what we think he should do, and rather trust in his sovereignty that he knows what he's going to do and how to do it according to his word. And so that's very important for us to come underneath because that's through the holy power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit moving and directing us, we will navigate this tough stuff that we'll read in the text that we can't shy away from. Believe me, there are some things in there I just don't want to talk about because it's been so de-energizing to hear how the world talks about it and how the church talks about it. And then it's like, do we want to talk? Oh, my goodness. But we have to navigate it. And the only way we do that is coming underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trusting him. Is that clear? Trusting Jesus. It's so hard. But who's seen God do something that was totally off your radar when you finally got to the point where you tapped out and you trusted him? And then you go, man, why did I fight so hard? (laughs) And sometimes we trust him and, and and the circumstances don't go the way we want. And then we go, I can't trust Jesus. Well, no, that's your expectation of what he should do. Life is hard. Sin is in the world. And the situations and circumstances around us are never going to be the way we want them to be according to the world of Brendan or you or anybody else. 
We walk with Jesus, and he helps us navigate the sorrow and the pain. He helps us navigate the joy and the, and the happiness. He helps us navigate the confusion and the question and the lack of answers. He helps us navigate the silence. But he's good through all of it. And then Paul says a lot of beautiful things that we've all gone, gone through uh, together as a church. We've gone through this stuff. It's taken six months, right? Six, seven months to get to where we are. Praise God. But what Paul says in verse 1 is accompanied by what he says in verse 16. I am not, I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. The good news that we get to be with him, that we're forgiven, and we get to live in him day in and day out is the very power of God because it is the love of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So Paul is emphatically stating and inviting us through modeling, not just the message. He's modeled this. So we can talk about it, but we need to see it in action. People need to see you trust God. People need to witness what it looks like to sit in the hard place of not knowing what's going to happen next, but trust that God is good even if what happens next is not what you wanted to happen. And that's a hard reality to live in, folks. It really is. But God is good. He does something with sorrow and pain and disappointment that we can't conjure up because he's good. And when we come into a situation and we don't know how to navigate, guess what? You probably shouldn't know how to navigate it because it's new to you, not new to him. So we yoke ourselves to the one that can lead us through. We practice listening to God. Sometimes we go, I don't know how to hear God. Well, that might be true, but let's work together in settling ourselves in our spirit so that we can learn to hear his voice and acknowledge it. We cannot use that. It's a harsh statement, but I use this for myself, okay? So it's more pointed towards me. We can't use, I don't, I don't know how to hear God as an excuse anymore if we're not engaging on how to hear him. If we are not working to practice the things of Christ, Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is the mature who by practice train themselves to discern where God is and where God is. And discernment is a form of hearing. So practice, we need to practice and trust so that we can hear and know how to navigate according to where he's leading us. And what Paul does, and this is beautiful, is that through his modeling, he invites you in. Imitation is a big deal. It's absolutely a big deal. And it's not just verbally inviting someone. I can look at Bruce and I go, Bruce, would you like to go to lunch? That's great. Which we need to do, by the way. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> That's great. But have you been around someone whose posture, how they live their lives, invite you in? Have you seen that? Isn't that powerful? Because socially, we can go, I should probably, out of courtesy, invite. Which, that, mine was genuine, by the way. <laughs> and we can do what's courteous according to what's expected of us. But when you see someone modeling an invitation, it's a different story. Because it's honest, it's authentic, and there's vulnerability there. And trusting leaves you completely vulnerable. Does it not? 
because you're letting go. You're giving away what's precious to you and giving it to someone else. Hoping and trusting that they will cherish that and take care of it. The only one that can do that is Jesus. He's the only one. And Paul, in this letter, invites invites the people in Rome over and over and over through how he models and what he says to enter in that kind of trust. Without that, we're sunk. We're absolutely sunk. Trusting God's love, trusting that he knows what he's doing, even when you don't know what he's doing. And let me tell you what, rarely will you know. Rarely will you know. Sometimes through revelation he gives us things, but they're pieces. They're pieces. And we trust, well, I have this piece that God's given me. I'll be faithful with this and trust him with it. It's not your job to know the whole picture. It's not your job to have an answer for everyone. But you do want to have an answer for who you serve. Scripture tells us that. Have an answer for the hope that's within you. And the way we do that is by inviting them in through how we trust and love. I don't know if you, if several weeks ago, I was pondering a question that I presented to you. How many of you love God? And almost all of you raised your hands. And then I said, why? And I saw this. Because we have a lot of answers for it. But what's your answer? We have a lot of biblical answers why we should love God. But why do you? Because that's part of the answer of why you trust him. And what you'll model to people. For me, it was, it was laying in my deathbed before... Um, um, I got up, I had diabetes, I didn't know it, I was going to die, that's what it looked like, and I remember perfect peace that God was safe, no matter what was ahead of me, if I had another day or not, I felt the presence of God in a way I've never felt before, and I felt completely safe, and that's where everything I learned in Sunday school, everything I heard, everything I said to people, it went away, and I was able to focus on one primary thing, he's safe, and I can trust him. And that has been the thing that I will tell people. That is my answer. What's the answer for the hope that you have? Jesus is safe. I'll tell you how he's safe for me. This is why I trust him. See, when you can understand or at least have an, a, a grasp on why you love him, then you know why you trust him. And then you can model that. And people go, whoa, I love that. Because here's the deal. When we start getting into the second half of the chapter, the stuff you're going to read is going to poke and prod at you. And we're going to pray against dissension. We're going to pray against division. We want what Jesus wants, not what our opinions or our own understanding of justice or our own understanding of this or that or correction or accountability. I don't want... Lord, what do you want to say? And we have to trust as he, as he does it. And in order to do that, we have to come together and agree that trusting is the, only other, is the only way. It is the only way. And when we get into this stuff, you're going to find that yoking yourself to Jesus and be a living invitation, a living invitation, is what's going to counteract some of the garbage you see in our world today. Sometimes when we say love is the answer, everyone's thinking this kind of love. Parents, raise your hand. Did you discipline your children? Yes or no? Why? Because you love them. 
That's not fluffy. Discipline isn't condoning. It isn't nice. But it's not condemning either. It's not saying, well, you did this, guess what? You're written out of my book of life. There's a tension there. We're going to enter it. And the only way we do that is through trusting. So I, the Lord, I'm going to try not to cry through this because I feel it right here. The Lord was leading me through this. What does this look like? And of course, and I asked my daughter permission because she's almost five now, so I have to ask her permission to share stuff because she knows she knows now, but she doesn't mind being the center of attention. She's like, sure. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the dinner table with her, just looking at her, and, and you know, finally got over whatever she annoyed me about earlier. And I, I'm looking at her with that astonishment. You know, you just kind of takes your breath away. Um, and I looked at her, and I felt the Lord say, I want you to ask her this. I said, Okay weird, but okay. I said, Grace, (laughs) I said, Grace, what would you do if you saw someone in school uh, yelling or being mean or picking on another? What would you do? I thought this is good because what it does, this question, you see sin, right? We're going to see this coming up. You see something that's not right. How do we respond? And I thought this was brilliant. God asked someone that was innocent and wasn't corrupted by a billion different philosophies put upon her yet. So I said, what would you do? She goes, I would invite them to a picnic. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why? So they can see what kindness looks like. A couple of things stood out. The invitation. The invitation was there. Why the invitation? And here's what I So I can model what it's supposed to look like. I said, well, what would you do next? Then I would ask, why did this happen? Really? You would ask a question. Yeah. So I don't know. I went, oh my goodness. I got a blueprint how to navigate some of this stuff from a four-year-old. Invitation. Modeling. And asking. See, we think accountability is correction. But people don't have a context of correction if they don't have a context of love. They're not going to receive correction. They're not going to receive anything we want to say to them if we don't invite them in to see what love looks like so that God can bring correction when correction is due. When he stood with the woman caught in adultery, he didn't condemn her. He didn't throw anything at her. He didn't even say anything to her yet. First, he showed her what love looked like. Correction came later. The invitation came first. We trust, and through our modeling, we invite, and lives will be changed. And we're not condoning sin by doing that. We're opening a dialogue so people understand, because when we go after sin first, it's about what you did or didn't do, not about your love relationship or lack thereof with Jesus. It's about you're out of bounds, I need to correct you, and then I've done my job. No! 
If we love Jesus, we want people to love Jesus. So show them the love of Jesus first. And then correction can come. Then they'll be ushered into salvation in a way they understand why they are saved. That their sins are forgiven. But if we start with correction and judgment first, we've shut down the conversation. We shut it down, folks. We can't have a dialogue. People now don't want to hear about Jesus because we've modeled something that isn't Jesus. So now they will not trust us. We have to trust him so others will trust him through us. That's how we navigate. That's how we navigate. Praise God, our innocence can be renewed through his death and resurrection. Because I looked at my kids and I go, the innocence. And it it grieves me to know the world is going to try and take that from them. It grieves me. To the point I, I want to th- fill in the blank. It grieves me to no end. Because I saw, I looked across the table and I saw a four-year-old that knew so clearly, so clearly, what to do with someone that was out of bounds. I'm going to invite them to a picnic. She invited them to the banqueting table. Whoa. Now, for some of us that have a very staunch sense of justice, that rubs us the wrong way. Does me too sometimes. I like action movies that are revenge movies. If anyone's ever seen Taken, it's the greatest revenge movie I've ever seen in my life. But I was wondering this morning, is that justice? Well, it's mine. But it's interesting because God looked at Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming over to your house and inviting you to a banqueting table. He looks at the woman caught in adultery. He looks at the rich young ruler who's more about him than anything else and invites him and invites him and invites them and invites them and invites them and invites them. (sighs) Correction comes later and invites them. Paul, boom, road to Damascus, bam. Hits them with love, grace, and mercy. And then Paul spends some time with the Lord before he goes on his missionary trips. And I, man, I really want to know what happened there. But I bet you there is where God began to lead him through love, through correction. He operated this way. This is how we're going to operate. I've forgiven this, and this is now how we're going to operate. You can't do that. Who knows? But the first encounter was love. Then trust can happen. Then you can have a good, hard conversation. (laughs) When I think about Mark and Sharon and my team... I can receive a hard word from them of correction because I trust them. Because I know they love me. Beyond what they say, they've shown me. They've modeled it. So love had the first word, which is why correction can come. And it's not a hit on my value to them. It's not a hit on what they think about me. It's simply this kind of behavior will not honor your love relationship with Jesus. And if we are a slave to Christ... Honoring that relationship has to be everything. Not my first priority. It has to be beyond my priority. Jesus has to set my priorities. Because if I start putting him in a priority list, I have control. No, he, he sets the table. So, really, what do we bring into next week? Trust, 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 trust. And love through invitation. And let your lives be that invitation. 
Sometimes we think it's handing out tracts. And then, yeah, you can do that. You can knock on every door you want. But it doesn't mean you're safe for people. But how you allow Jesus to love you and you love them back will make you safe for people. And they'll begin to trust you because you trust Jesus. Now we can get into the wrath of God next week. <laughs> because we trust. And it, we have to remind ourselves of that every day. So you're going to hear it from me because being with Jesus is about trusting Jesus. And so it's a simple message, but it's hard to apply. But we need to apply it every day. Every single day. Or the tensions of this world will beat us. All we have to do is tr- trust, invite love. Let's not take our children for granted anymore, amen? Because they really can point us to the way to the kingdom. They really can. I invite you just to sing this out. This is Joshua and all of the people. They shouted out and broke down walls. That seemed kind of like a crazy thing to do, to shout out, but it did a powerful thing. It put more faith in them to say, God is going to win the victory. So whatever you have that you are up against, that if you feel that there's a big wall that isn't, isn't able to come down, God, God, 